Thank you, Corey and Kelsey, once again. That worship just is so good, so powerful that we can stand together in the presence of each other, in the presence of God, and just, um, just declare him to be our God, just to be our savior and creator, provider, protector of everything. Um, and uh, most of those songs, if not all of them, provide us such a great introduction into what we're doing today and just set us up so well for the first week here of our new series, Heart to Heart. And what we're trying to do with this one is as we navigate through Lent, as we navigate these 46 days in total, but a 40-day journey, I'll explain more about why those numbers are different, but we're going to look at one-on-one conversations that Jesus has with people in the scriptures Um, And we're mainly going to be looking at in the book of John because there are some very powerful encounters with Jesus from just one person's standpoint. And the people we have to remember that are in these New Testament situations who are one-on-one with Jesus, they are us. They are us standing there in front of our Lord and Savior and saying, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about that? And Jesus answers with a kind heart. And what I would encourage us to do as we go through Lent, as we go through this time up into the cross and the day of Easter and the resurrection, not just to look for things that we can give up each time. That's not our process that we're doing, and I'll explain a little bit more about that later. But we are really interested in what Jesus can teach us about who God is and what he has come to do. And through that process of opening up and looking into our hearts, we see the new things that Jesus has planned. And so this week, though, we take a look at Matthew, and we had gone through Matthew 3 and a half, the second half of 4 and all of 5, but we skipped one passage in Matthew. And if you were paying attention, you would have noticed it, because uh, I noticed that we've skipped it, because I wanted to specifically read it here. And it comes from the beginning of Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. And it's Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. And it's really important that we start here at the first Sunday of Lent with this story, because this is the theme of temptation. And we're going to see that coming up again and again and again. And so let's read this through together. It says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, obviously. Then the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, it is written, man must not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city. He had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all of these things if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and the angels came and began to serve him. 
So this is the definitive passage of Lent. This is the definitive moment where the church confronts its own temptations, where the church comes face to face with Satan himself. The Hebrew word for Satan is Satan, has Satan, meaning the deceiver, the one who deceives. And so he shows up again here, and we can take a very literal approach to this and say that this is an actual person standing there, whether in the form of a uh, a hooved person, a, a, a devil type person, or whether it's in another form of an angel that Lucifer had fallen as, or some people would approach this as a very metaphorical sense that Jesus was in the desert and he was having these hallucinations. I think it's more of a little literal translation. I like to think that the devil's real, not just a metaphorical view of that. But whatever we can read into this passage, we see that Jesus is interacting with some evil, with some thing that is evil, a great temptation, a great deceiver. Now, when we pair this with the Genesis story that we read at the beginning, we can see that Satan is a deceiver, that his greatest lie that he gives to people is that they don't need God, that you can do it yourself, that you are deceiving yourself and each lie that the devil gives, gives more credence to that. But you can see the theme of temptation come out in these two stories. That here is Satan tempting Adam and Eve in the garden. And here is Satan again tempting Jesus with these same words. Doesn't it say, isn't this what God really intended when he said this in the beginning? Adam and Eve succumb to that temptation. Jesus does not. Adam and Eve establish human sin. Jesus overcomes it. Adam and Eve bind us to sin and evil, and Jesus frees us. And we sang it this morning. You are the new Adam. You're a better Adam. You're a better Moses. You're a better Abraham. You're a better Noah in every form. Because in every place that the temptation showed up to do something different, to take things into our own hands, we failed. We followed through on that. But I want us to approach this in a new way. I want us to seek the perspective in a new way. Open up the text as it was revealed to the people that would have read it for the first time. Was Lent on Matthew's mind when he first wrote down this episode of Jesus' life? I don't think so. Because the first people to interact with the story would have looked at this and said, oh yeah, 40 days and 40 nights, that's like Noah and the ark. The flood, 40 days and 40 nights. Or Moses on the mountain receiving the instructions from God. He goes up for 40 days and 40 nights while the people of Israel clamor in the valley. Moses spends it there with God for 40 days and 40 nights. Or the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years. When the first century Jews would have heard this story from Matthew, when they would have heard this story maybe actually from Jesus' lips first, they wouldn't have been thinking about, oh yeah, that makes me think that now I should fast for 40 days. 
Whenever I see someone running, running on the side of the road, I think, oh yeah, that's, I wanna do that for sure. That looks like something fun for me to do. And so when Jesus brings this story of his life and say, says, I fasted for 40 days, no, I don't think I'm gonna wanna do that. That does not sound fun. Matthew's not bending the story toward Genesis, but he's actually bending it toward Exodus and Deuteronomy. It's the story of Israel's liberation and the formation of God's people in the land. How God uses these moments to form his people. Not as a rigorous study of saying, well, I have to fast for 40 days. I must do it because I have to. Because Jesus gave us the model of that. But so often we think of Lent as the struggle with temptation. But what if Lent is just the fast to prepare us for what's coming at the end. Because one of the points that we miss in this text is the temptation comes after the fast. After he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, then the tempter approached. That the temptation seems to come after the fasting. And so maybe this is just a little bit different than what we anticipated in the beginning. Maybe in our Western world with our modern eyes, we see this as a model that if I can just get through this, I can get through anything. But Jesus got through it and then the temptation happened. And there are three main temptations here. The first temptation that we look at is in verses three and four. He said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What I love about these verses is that Satan does not deny Jesus as the son of God. He calls him that. In fact, it's the first time in Matthew's gospel that anyone calls Jesus the son of God. The Trinity showing up here and Satan shows up to confirm that. Well, you say you are the son of God and if you are, then you should be able to do this. Isn't that so fascinating that in this day and age that we think that just to deny Christ is just, I, I'm not a follower, I deny Christ, but even the devil admits to who Christ is. So we think that maybe admitting is not just enough. Even the devil can confirm that he is the son of God. So maybe our belief goes further than that. This is the temptation of provision. Provide for yourself. You're hungry. Here are the stones. So make bread. Feed yourself. Do it on your own. You don't need God to provide for you. And so what does Jesus answer back with? He answers back with this, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. And so often we miss, where does that come from? But Deuteronomy 8, 3, the Jews are wandering through the desert. Jesus, uh, God's people wandering through the desert, frightened, hungry, we're starving, God, give us something, anything. We'll just eat doughy bread. We'll eat whatever you give us. 
and God sends manna and he sends quails. God provides for his people in the desert, in their wandering, in their wilderness, in their time where they feel alone. Any time that we're in the wilderness in the Bible, it's a time where we feel separated from God. It's a time where we can't feel the presence of God in our lives. And so Jesus is standing there with Satan and he's saying, yeah, I'm hungry, but God provided for the people in the wilderness. I think that he will provide again for me. And they learn about God. They learn that he would provide food, but also that he provides his presence. That wandering through that wilderness so alone and so afraid and so frightened and so hungry that God provides in those moments. And so then Satan moves on. He says, well, if you won't believe that one, let's go somewhere else. So he takes him to Jerusalem, to the temple, and he says, if you are the son of God, again, acknowledgement of who he is, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give you angels ordering orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands. This is so funny that Satan is quoting Psalms to Jesus. That Satan doesn't think that Jesus knows his scriptures well enough that he needs to remind him that don't worry, angels will come to you and no one will lay a hand on you. Uh, there's a really great modern day phrase that gets used way too much and is actually really bad theology for everyone. It says, uh, leap and the net will appear. No, don't do that. Because when we talk about jumping off the temple in Jerusalem, when we talk about just taking a leap of faith, there is no guarantee. Jesus is saying right here, there is no guarantee. That's not what this verse means, leap and the net will appear. This is a blind faith. God will provide, but this is the temptation of protection in our lives that we don't need to take a leap based on blind faith, that we know that no matter the situation, God will protect us. And Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6.16. They're wandering through the desert and they, the great self-deprecating humor that comes out of the story of the Exodus. Why did you bring us out here to the desert to die? We could have been perfectly comfortable dying in Egypt under Pharaoh's slavery. We would have had homes and food in our bellies and we would have died happy. But you, Moses and God, you brought us to the wilderness to die. Why would you do such a thing? We were just so comfortable back in Egypt. And so God goes, Moses goes to God and they convene the elders and they said, we need to give them some water. We need to give them something that they will, that will protect them out here in this desert heat. And so he takes his staff and he hits the rock and he breaks the rock and water comes pouring out of this. And God says, don't do this again. I am with you. I am your protector. I have brought you to this place and you will be here. You don't need to test me. I will protect you from that. And so again, Satan tries one more time. 
Okay, so if it wasn't provision and it wasn't protection, I know exactly the thing you want because it was exactly the thing that I wanted. It was power. It was to be like your father, God. I wanted the things that he wanted. And then he went to the the garden and said to Adam and Eve, you've got this good cushy life, but you know what? You could have more. You could be like God. You could have power. By the way, there were two trees. God said you could have from the tree of life. You could have eternal life. You could live forever. And we didn't even want that. What we wanted was to be like God. We chose the one thing we couldn't have. The temptation of power was too strong. And one of the things that we get wrong about this tree is that it wasn't set off to the side. It wasn't in the forest, in the woods, hidden. If you read Genesis 2, it said God placed the tree right in the middle of the garden. Sometimes there's no way around our temptations. Sometimes there's no way to go around it. Sometimes there's no way to go under it or over it, but we have to go straight through it. And we practice and we practice and we pray and we fast and we learn and we have wisdom and knowledge. But that tree's in the center. We're gonna walk by it every single day day. And it's no wonder they fell. It's no wonder because it was so close. The devil wants to give kingdom to Jesus. The devil wants to give him all of these things. All you have to do is take this shortcut. 10 easy ways to declutter your home. doesn't happen. There are no shortcuts. And Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6.13, worship the Lord and worship only him. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Israel was tempted to turn around. They wanted to go home, not to the promised land, but back to Egypt because things were so much better for them there. We'll trade slavery for this freedom. If this is what freedom looks like, we don't want it. And God says, serve the Lord your God, worship only him. That's true power. Serve only God, that's real power. The power of God to do these things in your life, to reach in and change things. So this is my thought, that Lent isn't about us just going into the wilderness where we're gonna face down the devil and then we come to Easter with these clean souls and forgiveness and we can celebrate the resurrection like people of God, feeling good about how we overcame temptation and overcame sin and gave all these things to God. But instead, I think Lent is our time to wander. 
It's our time to encounter God in new ways, to understand that God is the one who provides and protects and empowers. Because all three of these temptations have the same underlying thing. It's the temptation of rejection. Reject who God says he is. Reject the things that God has provided for you. Reject what the scriptures say about how God will provide. Reject about all of those things. And just take this shortcut. Take this way to fix all these things very simply. You can do it yourself. It's all right there for the taking. If only you worked a little bit harder, or if only you did this one other thing, or if you just kept your nose out of other people's business, or if you did that or this or that, it's all yours for the taking. See, the worst temptation comes at the end of the wilderness, at the end of the 40 days, at the end of our journey, at the end of the road. That's when the biggest temptation happens. Because then we're so comfortable, we're so confident that yes, God has me. I can do all things through Christ now who has given me the strength. I don't need God anymore because the times are good. We've overcome all of these things. See, it's not while you're making the journey, but it's right there, right at the moment when your feet are getting ready to set themselves into the promised land. Because isn't it when the promise arrives that we are most confident that we can provide for ourselves? That we can protect ourselves? That we can set up something that is a power that will take care of us? Because these are our threats every day. These are our temptations to think about who's gonna provide for me? Who's going to protect me out there in this big scary world? Shouldn't I have a government that speaks for me? Isn't that what we want as Christians to have power through government? Jesus looked at the governments. He stood on the mountain and looked over nations that had build, built governments for themselves. Even Israel had a government for itself and he rejected them all. He said, worship only God, serve only God. And so maybe through this whole thing, we can't learn to fast for 40 days. That's a miracle in itself. But maybe what Jesus can show us is that the fast isn't the temptation, but it's the preparation for what comes next. That as we fast, we will end that. And we will enter this time where we need to be prepared that what we've given up, what we've set our hearts on trying to rid ourselves of, these desires for something more than the one true God, that what Lent sets us up for is that time where we encounter God face to face, where we understand God's compassion, God's power, God's arms around us. The temptation is that we forget when we finally enter the promise that maybe it's all so much more pointed now because we're ever so much closer to the promise. We're all the much closer to having the presence of Christ and God there. 
And when that promise is close, the temptations are more severe. And so I urge you this morning to keep on, to remember what you have learned in the wilderness. And that when we do set foot in that land, that we are prepared. That in this time of 40 days of Lent, that when we come through that, that's when the first temptation begins. Because it's not just the temptation of rejection, but it's also the temptation of self rejection. And we can think about this in two ways. A rejection of the self, that it's not about me, it's not about who I am, but it's a rejection of all the things that I've said about myself, that I'm not worthy, that I'm not good enough, that God does not want a person like me. And so I have to work for things. I have to do other things to add to the glory and grace of God. But here it is, the rejection of yourself, saying this is not me. <clears throat> this is not my 40-day journey. This is a journey where I can encounter Christ. It's not just a fast. It's not just a giving up. It's not just a relinquishing of our desires and turning them over to God. It's a rejection of self. It's to say, God, I want to encounter you. God, I want to be in your presence more. I thirst and hunger for that. Provide me with your presence. And God, I, I am so scared. I am so anxious about the world. I'm so eager for protection. Won't you come and protect me? And I feel like I'm worthless. I feel like I have no respect. I feel weak. I feel like I can't do the things that you've called me to do. God, won't you come and empower me through your presence of your spirit? If we're not using these 40 days to do that, we are wasting an opportunity to come closer to God. We're wasting an opportunity to say, God, here I am. The one thing I desire in my heart more is you. Sure, I love this thing. I love food. I love sports. I love social media. But I love you more. And let me show you how that happens. It's a rejection of self. It's saying, I am not worthy to do this. I'm not worthy to enter the promised land. And when we get there, are we gonna feel false? Are we gonna feel like God has helped us, has driven us to these points? So I wanna talk a little bit about what fasting might look like through Lent for you. I wanna talk about what that might feel like. We're obviously not gonna attempt 40 days straight of not eating. You will die. So, Lent and fasting, it doesn't have to be food. It can be food. Let me talk about food for just a second. If you're gonna fast with food, here's what I would suggest. Do it two days a week. And the best way to do it is I think the way that the Jewish community does it as well. And that's fasting from dinner on day one to dinner on day two. So you might start Monday evening, have your meal, and then don't eat again till Tuesday dinner. And then that's what you have there. And you can do that again maybe Friday night into Saturday night. There is no fasting on 
Sundays, though. That's why Lent is 46 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter, but we only fast for 40 of them because we don't fast on Sundays. Because Sunday is always a day of celebration. It has been for millennia. That when we come to Sunday, it's the day of resurrection. We are always celebrating on Sunday. So we don't fast on Sunday. But if you want to do food, then do it two days a week. Get yourself worked into that position. Do a Monday and Friday, something like that, where you can go from dinner on day one to dinner on day two. It might not look like a complete abstinence of food. It might look like something else, maybe like snacking in between meals, maybe eating after eight o'clock. This is not a diet plan, remember. This is for us to come closer to God. This is for us to embrace God's presence through giving up. And so whenever people fasted in the New Testament, it was always paired with prayer. So if you choose to fast during Lent, you have to pray. Pray, pray, pray. Because if we're just fasting to fast, we're just gonna get ourselves hungry. But as you submit yourself to God, as you submit to him and say, God, this is what we're relying on you for, you're gonna feel God open up. You're gonna feel his presence through amazing things. Now, what if you didn't do food, but you wanted to do 40 days of complete abstinence, 40 days of just getting rid of something? I commend you for it. It's extremely difficult. But maybe it might be uh, scrolling on social media. Maybe we need to take a break from that for 40 days. Maybe it's giving up uh, sarcasm for 40 days. Maybe it's giving up something that's in you, that you are defaulting to, that's in your way, that's saying to God, yes, I love this thing and I've put it more important in front of you than you. Serve only God. And so you can take some time to pray to God. You can take some time to think over these things and to say, God, what is it that I'm to give up? God, what is it that I've put in front of you in this place that I need to get rid of? that I've been relying on my own self, that I've been rejecting you and I've tried to find a shortcut to you through this, whether it's stuffing my face mindlessly with food or entertainment or social media. Maybe it's something I'm listening to or not listening to or not talking about or talking too much about. And so I would invite you into this time and remind you that God is there. He is present through this time. And that whenever there is an urge to do this thing, whenever there is an urge to take those steps, reject them and pray instead. And pray and pray and pray. And sometimes you'll have to pray for six, eight hours a day because this thing just won't go away. But remember, this is the preparation. It's not to get healthy again. It's not to say, oh, I rid myself of pretzels. I'm good now. I won't ever touch a pretzel again. Let's encounter God together in these 40 days. Let's make it a time of fasting and prayer where we can pray for communities 
where we're not so busy or tempted with the things around us, but we can just stop and pray and say, you know what, God, I need to pray about this. Here's our community, here's our neighbors, here's my friends, here's all of these things that we need help with. And instead of just mindlessly going to something else and pursuing other things, let's pursue God in these 40 days.